Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This section is the the meat. This is what we are to be mindful of. It's the difference between right view and wrong view. If it's not based on the four foundations and framed by the Eightfold Path, it's wrong view. And that can be harsh, I guess, because it doesn't give a lot of leeway into interpretation. So as students, we are almost tasked with understanding these four noble truths, really understanding it. What's the, each one has a call to do something with. So the Buddha begins, furthermore, one remains mindful of the quality of the mind in reference to the four noble truths. So people with a speck of dust who go forth, whether they're householders or ascetics, they go in kind of equal, a speck of dust. But if you can't get beyond the hindrances, they tend to fall off. John and I often talk about why people leave and it's the hindrances. It's the craving for something to be different than what they are. Remain mindful of knowing that the cause of the cause or nature of dukkha, stress, all forms of stress and confusion, the cause of nature of the origination of stress, the cause or nature of the cessation of stress, knowledge and integration of the Noble Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of stress. That's what we are to be mindful of. So the first Noble Truth, I think we hear it all the time, it's birth is stressful, aging is stressful, sickness is stressful, death is stressful, not getting what you want is stressful, getting what you don't want is stressful. But it's a whole spectrum of stress and suffering. Frustration, anger, ill will, all those hindrances are in this. That's all packed into the first noble truth. And again, the Buddha constantly fleshed it out. This is dukkha. These are the three defilements. These are the hindrances puts a face on it. I could recognize doubt. But doubt is just a, another version of delusion. I'm deluded in thinking that my view is correct. I'm holding on to this view. So therefore, I have doubt. I doubt that I'm doing it right. Doubt that it's not happening fast enough. Doubt that it's even the right you know, practice. 
So the first noble truth, we need to understand it. That's the first noble truth. We need to understand it. Without understanding, there can be no right mindfulness. We have to understand the first noble truth, to really put into play the jhana and the mindfulness, the right mindfulness. The cause or nature of the origination of stress. So what are we supposed to do with the second noble truth? Well, it's to be abandoned. We were looking to abandon the craving, abandon the ignorance, this ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. And that's essentially the Second Noble Truth. The cause or nature of the sensation of stress, the Third Noble Truth. My favorite Noble Truth, just because it's so easily passed by, but it's to be realized. This is the promise. So again, I always think of the hindrances packed into the first and second noble truth. And then the development and the factors of awakening are overlaid on the third and fourth. The realization that if I develop this practice as the Buddha laid out and John has cleaned up for us, and our wonderful teachers and students express back to each one of us. And to know when someone's a little bit off and not judge it. And to know that we're here to support. That it is to be realized. And then the knowledge and integration of the Noble Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of stress. This fourth noble truth is to be developed as a whole. It shouldn't be tweaked. It shouldn't be done in a way where you think it's a piecemeal. It's to be developed as a whole. So the Satipatthana Sutta cannot be considered right mindfulness unless it's integrated with the other seven factors. I think we've expressed that throughout the weekend. Otherwise, it's just another mindfulness practice. That's why it kind of devolved into a contemplation practice. And it took away just the whole guts of it. It's just another version, I think Laura and I talked about it. It's just another version of counting, a way to get through, uh, of counting. You know, the I, I dabbled in the Anapada Satatsutta. 16 of this and it's just a way for me because I was not willing to get past the hindrances that I just couldn't recognize at that time. So along the way I learned a little bit about it and I was counting and then John said stop it. That's not what we do. It's not the purpose of John and meditation. You're doing something but I was absolutely not practicing correctly. The appearance of it looked like I was, but until you truly tackle the first and second and third and just understand them, then you can truly integrate the Eightfold Path. And then it gets into the nuts and bolts of 
what the practice is. And it is just the bones of the practice come to Sangha. Read the suttas, your personal practice of sitting twice a day with the purpose of understanding the Four Noble Truths, nothing more. The byproducts are wonderful. The relaxation, the decompression, the calm, all those are wonderful. But the purpose is to understand the Four Noble Truths, replacing ignorance with understanding. And that's what I came to this practice for. I just wanted to understand. So I was fortunate not to have a lot of baggage in that sense. Let's get to John's words. These are always pretty good. John's words. You say they're always pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Mm -hmm. pretty good. I'm building to really good. <laughs> yeah, not really. <laughs> Uh, the last is a profound and penetrating understanding of the first noble truth developed through the Eightfold Path, resting in jhana. I often think we need to slow down when we roll through those words sometimes and really kind of unpack it. I think you were talking to John about your practice. Read the words and unpack them and really put it then into what right view is, and I know I'm jumping ahead, but the effectiveness of this practice then really talks to, don't f feel like you are on some sort of like timetable. We all have kind of like that end point. I've got to get this done, but I don't care because my next moment is what I care about. So this practice is the long game. It truly is the long game. And it's the next moment. How are you taking care of that next moment? Is it a built in the wholesome nature of this practice or craving for something to happen? And it has to come organically. The Buddha's words. In this way, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in and of itself, internally and externally. One remains mindful of the phenomenon of the origination of qualities of mind in their arising and passing away. There is the knowledge of the maintenance of the quality of mind, their recollection, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. This is how one remains mindful of the four noble truths in and of themselves. These are more of John's words. Here the Buddha is bringing together the four foundations of mindfulness applied during meditation and remaining mindful of each factor of the Eightfold Path in becoming Buddha. Emphasis is an important, what's that? An emphasis on the importance of remaining mindful of the impermanence nature of all phenomenon clinging to the qualities of mind, the arising and passing away of all self-referential thought and attached fabrications. This next section. Early on this year, as teachers, we talked about the opportunity. Use that word opportunity, John said. Use that word opportunity. Because this is what we have. We have an opportunity 
to clearly understand what these four noble truths are and the development of this practice. It doesn't feel right. There's probably a hindrance somewhere in there. If there's a tension about conflicting practices or activities, the Kalamas felt that. They had every wagon coming through with a practice. And the Buddha didn't try to convince him to drop their previous practice. He said, Nepasiko, come and see. It's nothing more than that. It's a promise to be able to see for yourself. So if there's a tension about a practice, Qigong causes you tension and doesn't benefit you, put it down. But I think John and Matt from the beginning saw that they were complementary. Uh, yeah, but a lot of that has to do with the way Matt presents. I'm guessing that if we experience other Qigong folks, it may not be the same because you've incorporated your practice as well. If there has given it a fair shake also, if there are practices that you're trying to meld into this, it's important to give it time. Jama often says, in this period of getting started, put away your old methods of meditation and or teachers. If you're trying to meld them together, take a little bit of this and that to make a really good practice, inevitably it will cause distraction and you'll feel it. There'll be conflict, which is craving for it to be different. And what are we trying to do? Come to understand that and to let it be abandoned. And it's not a judgment thing either. It's just a rising and passing away. That's the beauty of this. There's a sublime beauty to this. The effectiveness of the four foundations of mindfulness. And again, the opportunity the, to properly develop this practice. And the Buddha says, now, if anyone develops these four foundations of mindfulness in this manner, for seven years, one can expect either complete understanding here and now, if there is any clinging and maintaining remaining in this present life. And John always talks about the cruel nature of making it a million lifetimes before you can possibly awaken. And the Buddha right here is saying, this can happen now, but he also says, you have to develop this properly. Again, you'll feel the tension if you're trying to tweak it and add to it and subtract from it and not doing the present day instruction of develop your practice twice a day, five minutes pop, it doesn't matter. It's the mechanics of habit, creating that habit. And then you'll start deepening your concentration. And then you'll start that personal experience of seeing that hindrance arise and pass away and see it deeper and deeper. Each one of the hindrances, each one of the factors each moment. The Buddha continues, 
let alone seven years, if anyone perfectly develops these four foundations of mindfulness in this manner for six or five or four or three or two or one, for six months or three months, for one month, for two weeks, for seven days, one can expect, expect either complete understanding here and now if there's any clinging, maintaining, remaining in this present life. So is this a gradual practice? Does awakening happen gradually or does it happen like that? Did a thousand fire worshipers really, with one teaching from the Buddha, awaken? I don't think so. I just don't. Did Bahia? Quite possibly because he may have been one of some version of an aesthetic who was out there searching and that's what he did need to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my feeling of my idea is even somebody who you know, just a tiny speck. Tiny speck. And who was the other guy last night? Uh, In the barn? Kusati. Another one who got killed by cows. Cows. It's yeah, no. it's the Buddha distracted them. <laughs> Keep your ninja like uh, senses. I think for most people, it's a gradual. You know, Ananda was on the Buddhist service inside for 45, good portion of his 45 year ministry. Was a wonderful person, spot on memory, uh, caretaker to, along with Sariputta, uh, new people coming into the Sangha. Advocate of women coming into the Sangha. All wonderful things, but there was something that was not being resolved, not being recognized. Yes. And that was his his role. The Buddha didn't say go off and do this. That was his role. But after the Buddha passed, he hunkered down and awoke. So don't get discouraged by the gradual. Don't get discouraged by the stories of, you know, the Buddha gave one teaching and there was an awakening. You know, that's part of the, part of the backstory as well. The Buddha was the most perceptive teacher, so that's possible. But I think for most people, it is a gradual. So this effectiveness of the four foundations of mindfulness and this practice, it is very much, it gives the door to be open to develop it as fast as you need to develop it. But there's no rush. There's no shortcut to this. Developing jhana, the ever-deepening jhana, leads to refined mindfulness. So you see things arising and passing away. You understand the nature of craving. Ignorance is replaced by understanding. And then when you go out into the world, those moments slow down. You just are at peace, you're, you have a level of clarity 
that. Things that used to come at you fast and your reaction was anger or frustration or disappointment. Now you see it arise and pass away. It's not personal. It can't be personal. It's impermanent. It can't be what you are because of the impermanent nature of it. Man, I wrote a lot from the reading Indians. <laughs> too much. The Buddha continues, Friends, this is the direct path for the purification of all beings, for the cessation of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for establishing the right method of practice, and for complete unbinding. In other words, these four foundations of mindfulness. John's words. Here the Buddha is stating clearly that through wholehearted engagement with the Eightfold Path, anyone can become Buddha in the present life. Whether seven days, seven years, through a well-concentrated mind and wholehearted mindful engagement with the Eightfold Path, becoming Buddha is assured. This is what was said by the Buddha. Hearing these words, the assembled were gratified and delighted. That is the end of the Satipatthana Sutta. We're going to leave Tom hanging for a little bit. I always feel like we uh, go to them first. Matt, what do you have to say about our weekend and just the Sangha and your thoughts? Is it possible to move the camera? Um, oh, sure. Sorry. Matthew. Thank you for the teaching, David. Um, I hope that everyone here has seen and heard and experienced a very clear explanation of this sutta. And the rest is up to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a place that we've established to engage with that practice, deepen that practice, cultivate that practice, share that practice, and it's here. And the rest is up to you. So, uh, this may have been one of the better Satipatthanas we've done, so I'm very happy about you said that last <laughs> it, Mary and I talked about that real briefly last night. And the difference, I think, is that the gap between students and teachers is closing. So the feeling intimidated is less. 
And I think the participation is really a sangha to recognize it. I'm just a guy trying to learn this too. You know, it's, it, you know, on my journey to understand. But uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. That, you know, people that are coming are coming regularly, understanding it and putting it together. Who said it, but you know, making these connections, making these like that's why I decided to start coming twice a week, not because I was like feeling the need to like do it twice a week, but there was a value to it. It's, I'm not walking, I'm driving, I'm picking up, yeah. so, it's easy work. I'm gonna go to Jane, my friend. Yeah, I'm not. I can remember who I. That you did as a teacher. Um, you feel like a kindred spirit. Uh, for me, the Four Noble Truths have always been really the basis of my practice. I started with, felt like I was drowning in stress. And then I heard that Maduka exists. So it wasn't unique to me, it wasn't, you know. And then the second one was, well, you know, you have something to do with it, Jane. You're the cause mm. of why it's so bad. And when it didn't leave me there, it was like, okay, but there's, there's something from there, you know, there's a way to relieve that stress. And, uh, and the people packed, and it was like, I just totally felt like that, you know, now anything was possible. Mm -hmm. I remember our first talks. We were started basically at the same time. And uh, again, it's a gradual path. And even though there might be like these flashes of insight and understanding, and then it goes away and there's disappointment. Well, guess what? Craving for it to be different than what it is. And then it arises in a passive. You're not failing, it's just being human. Mm -hmm. I choose to notice when I see it in nature. That's helping you live. Thank you. Thank you. Tom, I wasn't going to leave you hanging the whole time. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just a couple of very quick things. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, when you said the path is gradual, I think it's 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 interesting, isn't it? It's both, it can be instantaneous and gradual. I think certainly, um, you know, in terms of the sort of culmination of the path, so to speak, it's very gradual uh, for most people, as you said, maybe not for everybody. Um, and that's where perseverance comes in and keeps encouraged uh, keeps us going um, when when we're struggling, um, but it can also be instantaneous, right? That you can be stressed. I think this is the one sort of superpower I've got from this practice is that potential every so often to realise that I'm creating stress and suffering for myself and to be able to step out of it. And I think in that sense, it's very instantaneous, right? And you can you can experience those moments of awakening. Um, yeah, you know, even if you your the likelihood is that that 
you know, a bit more Duca is going to be just around the corner. Um, so, so I think that's really helped me on my practice to know that I think if I thought it was only gradual, then I would, it would lead to more craving because I think, oh, you know, keep working away at it, um, persevere, and then one day I'll be enlightened. Uh, yeah, so anyway, that, um, thanks so much for the teaching. And I did, I, I asked in my, um, in the previous session, you know, I, if the Buddha had covered everything with his seven, seven the factors of awakening, and I realized he had forgotten one, oh. which is Wi-Fi, um, which obviously he yeah. back then. Wi-Fi, <laughs> because if it if it wasn't for Wi-Fi, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to be here with you, um, and I probably wouldn't have had access to these teachings in the first place. So it may not have been around when the when the Buddha was was here, but um, but it's been such a important factor in my own gradual slash occasionally instantaneous awakening. Um, and you know, so obviously there's lots of bad things associated with Wi-Fi. So there's maybe we need to look at sort of I don't know wrong wrong Wi-Fi ness and then right Wi-Fi. Maybe <laughs> Wi-Fi ness. The um, is the eight factor of awakening. I think Wi-Fi is just another version of a trade route. <laughs> right? <laughs> just travel in a different way. Indeed, indeed. Um, so anyway, that was my roundabout way um, of saying thank you um, for all the teachings over this weekend. It's given me a bit of purpose for my weekend. Um, and although I couldn't be there with you in person, I've I've, I've really enjoyed being part of the sessions I could join. So thanks, David, for your teaching and to all of the other teachings I, I heard over the last few days. Thank you, Tom. You're always wonderful to have you. Let's go thanks, Tom. to Mary Allen. Um, I think this is just a wonderful finishing point. Um, I feel uh, and maybe it's where I'm at, but I feel that there's been such a good common thread throughout the, mm -hmm. the retreat that's allowed us all to be very focused on uh, basic and deep levels, depending on where we're all at. So, you know, it was an equal, equal opportunity for everyone to really participate and take some takeaways. I guess like Matt says, you know, it's up to you now. And, you know, we often emphasize the importance of accountability um, to the practice, to the simplicity of, you know, the sits and, you know, the right type of investigation and um, the right correction of, of accepting that you're experiencing hindrance and, you know, get back in the right direction so that you can you know, experience for yourself the um, fullness that is the core of the truth and the ethical path. So thank you for your teaching. Thank you. Bridget said something really interesting a few weeks ago. And she said kind of like a throwaway. She's like, I'm not sure what being gentle with yourself means. And uh, I think the gentle part is built into the practice because it's a limiting practice and it's not harsh. There's not a 
wrong way when you bump into something that arises and passes away. You're just to be mindful of it. And then put it in its place as a hindrance. I don't need to do anything with it right now, but you know, that's it's, it's always recognizing it's there yeah. or it's not there. Not there. Just recognize. Well, I had John's coaching when I was getting ready for my section. The gentle expression of the Eightfold Path. Like mm -hmm. I said it a couple times last night because that just meant so much to yeah. me and it reinforced the gentleness of what we should be experiencing and the absence of harshness. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. My friend. Thank you for the teaching. Thank, thank you to the Sangha. Um, it always hits different being out here than being on Zoom. And I'm thankful that I can be here a few times a year to experience that. Um, we are too. It really is great to have you come. Jesus is trying to get to those million miles. In the yeah, that's right. <laughs> Once I hit that, you'll never see me. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, you'll take us all to London. So that's we'll right. Visit Tom. That's right. Right. That's right. Just Tennessee. Yeah, I'm thinking you're on 747 or something. Yeah, then you get like a puddle jumper. <laughs> uh, it, 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 the Dhamma, all, all the words in the Dhamma just culminate in the Four Noble Truths, you know, the jhanas and the hindrances and the factors. And that's just different ways of saying each of the Four Noble Truths. Mm -hmm. And so, it, but again, it, it just pulls you back. You don't have to go down the rabbit hole. You can just keep coming back to this simple process of breathing and developing concentration and developing understanding over and over. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Tracy over the shoulder. Oh, Tracy. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you for a really wonderful weekend, everyone. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to be here with you and to take a big chunk of time to come back to the breath so often. Um, I think I'll just echo what's been said a couple different times, but the structure of this retreat has been really helpful for me because I came in to the Sangha about halfway through the Dhammapada mm -hmm. and I went on the retreat and we've been in Jada, which is, and it's all been great, but focusing over consecutive sessions on the connective tissue between all of these concepts has been it just it just hit at the right time so i'm i'm very grateful in my in my practice to be here with you all so looking forward to the next round and i wonder how we hit different <laughs> no we different yeah it's cool trace <laughs> sorry we'll just switch things <laughs> um thank you so much for the teaching and all of the teachers um this weekend have been absolutely incredible. Um, I feel there's two things I want to say. The first is thank you for resolving my 
concern of, okay, you know, I've been here now for 48 hours or more, and I feel very calm and very connected and clear about what we've learned here, and then now we're going off into the world, and it's scary. <laughs> and um, you, you said, um, you know, it takes time, and it, it, it's okay that it takes time. It's not supposed to be a snap your fingers and you're awakened. And um, that was reinforced, uh, Mary, by you saying that it doesn't have to be a harsh, like if you find you're kind of falling back into old ways of thinking, that you just come back to the breath. And I always just, it's whatever I'm sitting here about to, you know, say something, I, it always resolves itself in the teaching itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, that's the answer. Um, so I just want to thank you for that as we leave today, reminding at least me of that. Um, and the last thing is, like, this whole weekend for me has just been about, like, showing up in persistence because mm -hmm. just coming and spending time with a bunch of strangers for this long is hard. At first it felt that way, and now I do feel like it's a family. It really does feel that way, and it's lovely. And I appreciate everybody being so lovely. A very gentle song. It seems so. appreciate David that you said that the and Mary to the, the gap is kind of closing between the teachers mm -hmm. and the students because I learned so much from all the other mm -hmm. students here. You know, even what Jane was saying, how she really does remain in right view a lot because she orients herself to you know fully embracing the that there is stress, you know, there is suffering, but there is a promise that it can end mm -hmm. but I just really appreciate this weekend how all the teachers you know the way that you taught the Satipatthana and you said it you know David it's a when you fully embrace this practice it's a lifelong process you know sometimes like Tom was saying the moments of culmination and development are mm -hmm. instantaneous sometimes they're gradual but you know was saying too, persistence, just keep going, you know, just be gentle with yourself and, and just the whole, you know, like, it's a to whole keep process. in mind, that's what, to keep in mind what is in front of you. Yeah. At the moment that you have an opportunity to be mindful, framed by the sageful path. Right. What's going to go wrong there? Yeah. You know, as far as in your mind, the world, they got their deal going on and your reaction is framed by this eightfold path. Yeah, and I, I just, yeah, I so appreciate how the teachers, because it's, it's really tricky because I'm attracted still to even some of this like Zen marketing stuff or other retreats or like other things, but it's like, no, Zen is not like this just marketing tool or whatever to like stress relief, you know, mm -hmm. it's really this lifelong process of practice, concentration, you know, peace and calm. So I just, yeah, all the teachers here do such a great job, especially with Thank you. They got better robes, but <laughs> we have John's restorations. <laughs> yes. So Thank you, John. Market that a little better somehow. Go to Thank you for wrapping this up.
Um, I appreciate the feeling of home that I'm getting here. Mm. Not just being home in the Dharma, but being home in the Sangha. And being familiar with Siddhartha. Um, but yeah, primarily this retreat that has been about being at ease and being home. And I thank everybody, everybody for their input. It's been extremely beneficial for me, and I hope it's been beneficial for you. Mm. Raquel. Hiding that. is the most important part of the three refuge. It reinforces it, <coughs> the, the Dhamma, the model's behavior, 
And we have the example of the Buddha. Zach. Yeah, I think really echoing the sentiments, but really honing in on thanking everyone here for all the right effort. Because whether you're new, whether you've been here since the beginning, all of that has culminated into the, the wisdom, gentleness, and kindness that's become the song government. It's a special place. Especially for, for Matt and John for your initial right effort. Putting all this together and giving us the space. Thank you all. Thank you. Again, thank you for hosting and being a place where we can get our alms. Thanks for bringing the alms. Yeah. <laughs> BYO alms. We're really excited for the leftovers. I'll finish with John. John, please speak up. I don't want Tom to miss any of this. Uh, I was not going to cry. And I may get through this, but I feel very strong. It's stoic. Uh, yeah, uh, Julie and Zach, thank you so much for hosting us. That really was wonderful. This Spending some time over there, Saga. I think if you do this next year, we'll we'll have the dinner after the last session on Saturday. But I was not. Uh, I say this. I think probably at every retreat, maybe not at the beginning. But if one of you wasn't here, it would be, have been a completely different retreat. And on the surface, that's kind of obvious. Of course, it's different just because somebody wasn't here. But every one of you uh, contributed to deepening my understanding. You know, Saraputta was teaching. There's, there's no end to the to uh, the awakening process because life is always uh, it's always vibrant. It's always new. Every, every breath is new. So you all contributed to the deepening of my understanding of these, these incredible teachings. Uh, I don't know why I was able to restore the suttas to what I think and were experiencing was pretty close to what an awakened human being actually taught. Um, it, it's a little bit like Ananda. I did it out of anger and frustration because all my years in various Buddhist studies weren't leading me anywhere. I was confused and frustrated. But once I realized what this guy was teaching and how simple and direct it is, but also how broad it is, um, and then starting teaching it, well, what am I trying to say? I don't have a Dhamma practice without a summer. You know, before I started teaching, I had my nice practice. I had kind of figured out what the Buddha taught, and I was doing my two-a-day sits, moving along. But I didn't know what I was going to say. 
<laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> because of all of you, my practice, I'm saying the same thing twice. Because of all of you, my practice has been uh, deepened and greatly enhanced. And I know, and we're all saying the same thing. And I know that I've contributed to your Dhamma. And that's what brings so great meaning, so much great meaning and purpose to my life. Um, There's a few practical things I need to get out. Well, don't let me stop it before I say well, yeah, I'll say them now. Uh, our next uh, hybrid retreat will be the end of March. I don't have the dates yet. But I think it's in the calendar. I'll put it in. We have our residential retreat. Uh, June 28th to July 3rd, I think it is. So put those dates. I thought it was June 26th. Yeah, the date changes a little bit. But it's that last week of uh, June ending on uh, the 4th of July holiday, whatever, 4th of July holiday, whatever. So just keep that in mind and put the, put the dates aside. So I want to see you all there. Um, I got to thank the teachers. It's just the, the more I hear you teaching, you guys got to teach more often. Not that I don't want to keep teaching, but it really is just remarkable. I think each one of you would say uh, that every time you teach, learn a little bit more of the Dhamma, don't you? Every class, every one of us learns a little bit more of the Dhamma, right? You've been to, to you have a handful of classes and you're also master office. So, uh, in seven years or six years or a couple of weeks, it really doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that we have a practice that promises to deliver awakening to human maturity, the ability to be present for our lives. And that is everything. So I made a, a bold prediction, and I make it at the beginning of every retreat, that you will all be quite different when you leave here on Sunday. The world will still be the same, but you will all be quite different. One good way of recognizing that difference is when you go home, try to do it pretty soon after you get home, is go into the quietest bathroom you have, look in the mirror deeply, then close your eyes and then look again. <laughs> and you'll see the change. You can't miss it. Thank you. And then do your evening sit. <laughs> you do not get yeah. to skip the evening sit because you did two sits today. <laughs> That's not how it works. That sounds like an argument of well, I don't get a you and you will finish with meta. I will speak slowly because it says speak slowly. Some of you are racing through it, that's Jen and I are. Decided to stop arguing with John that I had slowed down, and yeah. in fact, I was not. <laughs> so, find your meditation space. This is what is to be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in their speech humble and not conceited, 
contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease, whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, having completed the path, does not give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. Thank you, everyone. Tom, take care. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.